0: Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what's best for Canada amidst the energy crisis. Dan McTagg with Canadians for Affordable Energy weighs in on this, plus he highlights Canadian energy's impact on the world and how we can support the industry. Facebook is getting a makeover on in case you missed it, Ryan O'Donnell highlights how Facebook is planning to change its name to build itself into the so-called metaverse. It's the mega company of all things digital, but apparently they're going to get a new name and it could come as soon as before the end of this month. Also, the Wiggles are on tour hosting adults-only concert shows. Yes, are you okay with beauty pageants or turkeys that can gobble on command all here on the podcast? You won't regret it.
1: This is the Shift Podcast.
2: In case you missed it on the radio, here's Ryan O'Donnell. Ryan, I am Ryan, and this is in case you missed it. Kind of like that, actually. Uh, you know how like every movie has an evil corporation in it, oh, like Umbrella uh, Corporation in Resident Evil or Octan in the Lego Movie. Uh, well, we have a real life version of that here on planet Earth. It's called Amazon. Uh, probably Tesla. Uh, hmm, actually, we have a few. Hmm. <laughs> I think my favorite though is Facebook. Uh, mm. Mostly Facebook. Evil. <laughs> Look, it, everything that's come out about Facebook over the past couple of weeks—the the testimonies in Congress in the United States over the practices there, uh, the outage, and how. At peace, everyone felt for a couple of hours because you didn't have to go on Facebook. Uh, The damage it's done to the COVID-19 response, uh, all of this stuff, man. Facebook has a lot of great things about it. It can let you keep in touch with loved ones. You can share stuff. But uh, slowly but surely, the cons are starting to outweigh the pros from what I see. But don't worry facebook is no longer going to be facebook and sorry I, I don't mean in the way where they'll like act you know and 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 do something to address awful stuff on there and address misinformation and toxic behavior no that's not going away they're changing the name <laughs> Yup, facebook is no more uh I can't believe they're doing this. This is fantastic. It's growing scrutiny over its tactics and ethics. Facebook is reportedly planning a makeover. A nice, fresh one. You know, oh, what's that movie? Uh, Big Mistake. Huge. Which, which one is that? You know what I'm talking about?
0: I don't know. Oh, it's a movie God. question. I can't answer movie questions.
2: It's a movie question. Uh, I'll I'll It'll come to me. Anyway, they're going to try to make over themselves in Build... A metaverse, verse, verse, verse. Is that an echo? What the heck is a metaverse? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Jackson Broskow with Global News, though, he knows and he explains.
3: Facebook revolutionized the way we connect. The company's next big step could be one that changes everything about online.
4: They see the writing on the wall, they see that they need to evolve themselves.
3: Tech website The Verge reports Facebook is getting ready to rebrand with a new name and new focus. The company declined to comment to Global News. The Facebook site along with Instagram and WhatsApp would be platforms operated by a parent company that's built around something bigger the so-called metaverse. What is the metaverse?
4: So the metaverse is really the successor to today's mobile internet. You have to think about it as the future of what comes next.
3: Expert Kathy Hackel describes the metaverse as the next generation online space that will blend elements of our real world with a virtual one.
4: So we're heading into this
3: convergence
4: of physical
3: and digital lives. Facebook already owns Oculus, which makes virtual reality goggles, and recently revealed workrooms for VR meetings. There, users interact in a digital meeting room as 3D avatars that mimic their real-life movements. Think Zoom on steroids. I always wanted to help build this kind of immersive system that you could be in with your friends and feel like you were present together, but go explore. The company recently announced plans to hire 10,000 workers to build the metaverse. But back in the real world, Facebook, by any name, faces serious problems. Facebook consistently chose to prioritize its profits. Former employee Frances Haugen recently blew the whistle on company policies she claims amplified misinformation and harmful content. Governments around the world have accused the social media giant of abusing its monopoly. A new name and new product designed to help escape reality won't make any of that
2: disappear. Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington. It, it was Pretty Woman. That was the thing. It, oh, Facebook's trying to Pretty Woman itself. <laughs> I have so <laughs> many. I have so many thoughts. I do love this text from Catherine. Facebook is getting a facelift. <laughs> that would imply that things are going to get, you know, touched up. This is going to be a disaster. (laughs) I I do not see any circumstance in which this is a good idea. We need this idea that we need to build a digital life for ourselves is ridiculous. We can have a part of our lives be digital, but our lives are our lives. We need to have that disconnect. I should not. I don't want to have a digital life and a real life. I want to have a real life that I can dip my toe into a digital world every now and then. And I just don't see how this doesn't go spiraling out of control. And Mark Zuckerberg saying, I always wanted to create a space where friends could connect is bull crap. You wanted to create a platform where you could rate how hot people are at your campus. That's Mm -hmm. what Facebook was originally built for. The idea that you've always had these dreams to expand it. Is nonsense, and that's one of the reasons why Facebook is such a hot mess right now. Is because it was planned to be something else. It exploded, and now they're just trying to throw all these ideas together. They have so much money; they're just trying to do everything they can.
0: Well, I think um, I'm going to add to your point. I agree with you. Please. Um, I think that I don't think that this virtual world thing is is going to turn into a hot mess. I think it's going to be a real problematic, much like social media for the real life stuff. I think Facebook tried to become the internet. When Facebook first started, one of the first things they started to do was allow you to build pages and websites inside Facebook. So instead of going to Google to search, you would just go to Facebook to find everything checking in. Remember the check-ins? Everybody would check in when they went places. So they really tried to create a new internet. And I think that's what they're going to continue to try to do. But when probably punctuated by the outage this past month is that when facebook goes down i don't know if the brand health of i think this is a good idea alphabet did it with google and they didn't have the same brand health problem that facebook does if facebook wants to leave into new brands like oculus whatsapp instagram the brand health of instagram is probably pretty good and i'm guessing it gets dragged down by its relationship to facebook and Oculus also gets dragged down with the negative press that Facebook is getting. I would suspect that creating a new name, you know, called Zuckerland or whatever the company's called, <laughs> um, that probably allows space for Facebook to be separate for other, from other products they buy. And I think that's incredibly important. Also, it matters because there's a lot of pressure on them to not be one giant company, right? They want to be a series of small companies. And that's where they can kind of own a bunch of companies that can't tangle themselves up the same way. And they're not going to get as much trouble for it is 100% political posturing?
2: It is. And here's the thing, though. It's the name itself, right? Facebook. There are third world countries where Internet access is still very limited. And the Internet is not called the Internet there. It is called Facebook. There are grandmothers and grandfathers alive today that do not call the internet the internet, that they call it Facebook. That name is very powerful. It's also very dangerous now, and that's their own fault. So what I I imagine, as you mentioned with Alphabet and Google, they will rebrand into, let's say, Metabook, or uh, Lyle from Kamloops says Fresh Face, which that's not bad either. Uh, (laughs) And then they will have this umbrella. Instagram isn't owned by Facebook, it's owned by FreshFace, by you know, that kind by Faceverse, by Faceverse, first, by Firstverse. First. Uh, you know, but the thing is, uh, I don't think this 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 move. I understand why they're doing it, but the amount of tension that's on Facebook right now and the pressure on Facebook, I don't think people are just going to let it go because you change your name. And we can't let it go. We absolutely cannot. And uh, I've seen footage of that 3D meeting room that he's talking about, it looks ridiculous. If I ever, if I got a job tomorrow and the boss said, we would like to do a virtual meeting, please join using your avatar, I would quit. I would rather quit than work at a place where I have to show up to a meeting as a awkward, poorly designed VR version of myself. I'd rather just be myself and pick up a phone. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So, yeah, there's lots here. It's interesting. Your generation has grown up with
0: these things and live with them, so it's interesting to hear that.
2: Yeah. And I grew up I was 14 when I first got Facebook, and I'm so happy that the first 14 years of my life were not Facebook. I wish that every kid alive today got to live the first, quarter, you know, first 15 years of their life disconnected from social media and then you know get onto it. That was a great mm-hmm. way for me. I kind of the timing for me was amazing and this idea that we're going to create this bubble this digital bubble of so many things and you just hop into it this is like ready player one if you've ever read that or seen the movie you know you put the goggles on and you're in a digital world uh i don't know if we're there yet i will say though in that in that book in that movie you can be the iron giant and mm-hmm. uh if and that's if facebook announces next week hey we're iron uh, we're iron book uh you can be the iron giant in vr then okay you sold me it's, done. it's always done boils you.
0: down to one thing. It's gonna boil down to taxes and monopoly. Yep. And that's what they're trying to skirt. Skirt, skirt. Yep. It's a big time.
2: Okay. Uh uh just a warning, Shane. Get the Australia mm. button ready. Okay. Have it ready. Okay. Ready. Every generation needs a good kid's show. I firmly believe that I lived in the sweet spot for shows to watch when I was a kid. Transformers Beast Wars, Total Drama Island, 16, Dexter's Laboratory, Foster's Home for Imaginary Kids. It just, every time I turned on the TV as a kid, there was something good on. I grew up with so many, and like educational shows, funny shows, action shows, shows that were so good for kids that they become adult shows now. Uh, Samurai Jack, if you've never seen it. Fantastic. Uh, But when it comes to educational shows, you know, there's, there's nothing really better than the wiggles. Let's get that first clip there, Sheldon. Hot potato, hot potato. Yeah. Hot potato, hot potato.
3: Hot potato, hot potato. Has ever watched the wiggles? Potato, 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 potato.
2: Uh, nope, my nephew did, though. Yep. I love the wiggles. Wiggles are great. Fun music, simple. The Australian. Drive from town to paradise, and you'll see why we
1: call Australia home. Australia! Australia!
2: <clears throat> cool, thank you. Thank you. Uh, the Australian Children's uh, Group formed in Sydney, New South Wales, 1991. I'm not very good at Australian, I'm working Chit on in it. in the car. They get in the cab. They were listed at the top of Business Reviews Weekly, top-earning Australian entertainers for four years in a row, and they earned $45 million in 2009. This is a Whoa. big group, and they're very wholesome. Cool. They're, they're And I, I'm bringing up the Wiggles for a good reason. Don't worry. It didn't turn out that one of them's a racist. It, we're okay here. We're in the clear. Uh, the <laughs> original lineup is very, is not... like I don't actually know if the lineup now, because the group has... The name has continued, but the group has changed. Uh, but the original lineup are reuniting for a string of concerts. Anthony Field, Murray Cook, Jeff Fat, and Greg Page. They'll be out Belton children group songs at arenas across Australia in February through till May next year. Uh I've never met anybody with thing. the last name Fat before. Fat, isn't that fantastic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeff Fat, the kid singer. Uh there's just one little thing asterisks about this concert no kids allowed what? seriously this is an adults only show the Wiggles are putting on an adult only concert series where you can get absolutely plastered to the Wiggles (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they they did reunion shows which sold out in less than five minutes so they were like oh people want to do this and uh, I'm going to talk about the experience of getting drunk and, and, uh, at, at, and reliving your childhood. Uh, but this is an excellent interview they did with 7 News. Yeah, well, we've done a
3: few in um, clubs before um, and oh, yeah. it's, it's always been a great success and I think um, people who grew up with us um, who are now in their 20s, getting up to their 30s in some cases, um, they just love to get back to the sort of innocence of, of uh, their childhood and they join right. in and, and it's just great fun. But yes, they do spend some time at the bar.
0: Um, <laughs> so... Uh, Greg, are they they're always the original lyrics or are they adults-only lyrics or do no. you throw in some cockroach songs as well? Uh, no, I don't think we've ever done any cockroaches songs, but no, we, we stay true to our original wiggly form right. and that's part of the appeal, right? right? So that people can come along and enjoy that experience as grown-ups whilst they're enjoying grown-up
3: drinks. Just, just a little bit louder. you get
2: louder as the night goes on?
3: Yeah, louder and wilder. Jeff,
0: <laughs> Jeff, is it an early finish now you're a bit older? <laughs> <laughs> Did they go to sleep earlier? Um, yes.
3: <laughs> it's actually a later finish because <laughs> Much later, yeah.
0: But Anthony, you've got to do both. Yeah, what's you're happening? you got to do the kids' we'll, version, yeah, and the yeah, we'll do version the Yeah, we're doing the Prince
4: salad TV hours. Sh- uh, so in the morning for the f- two shows, maybe three shows. Then I uh, join these guys. But here's the thing the energy levels will still be the same, I think. You guys yeah, are amazing because yeah. they've
2: all had pacemakers put in. <laughs> <laughs> The energy levels will be the same because they all have pacemakers, which is true. All four of them have pacemakers, so they can't get too rowdy, which means the crowd will do the work for them. They got the tight pants on; they do. They got they they're committed to the idea, which I think is great. And I I would go immense. This would be it would just be a really fun story to tell.
0: It'd be weird, like hot potato. A bunch of adults, dry, like mosh crown pit. and Coke,
2: dancing in a crowd. Yeah, I, to I hot think potato. it'd be hilarious. It would just be a bizarre experience. And I, I, if fruit salad comes on, I'm going in a mosh pit, man. I'm throwing um, fists.
0: <laughs> if you're a psychologist, I recommend standing outside um, this venue and handing out your business card when everyone comes out. Yeah, you yeah, can exactly. Make some good money.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. There's I probably see a conversation
0: for a coach there.
2: Yeah, probably. Anyway, uh, that's happening next year. Uh, seriously, if I'm going to Australia anytime soon, which I'm not, but I would, I would be there. This is the Shift Podcast.
0: Price of gas is high. My son got very excited over gasoline being $1. thirty-two at Costco. That's a terrible thing to be excited over, but it's good news based on the way things have gone. Dan McTagg, Canadians for Affordable Energy, is with us uh, here on the shift. Uh, Dan, we, um, we're in a bit of a pickle, Dick.
4: We are. And uh, how long it'll be before we get out of it is anyone's guess. No one saw this coming. Well, some of us did, but we weren't taken very seriously. Um, and there's a whole host of reasons why it has gone where it has gone. Uh, but I think we're probably going to be able to catch our breath for the next couple of weeks before it starts moving up again. The, the beat goes on. I mean, RBC, uh, Citibank, uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch—all these guys are, all these banks are spending a considerable amount of their time earning credits by ensuring that they're diverting money away from oil and gas production. So, along comes the pandemic, ruins the, uh, ruins the production. Uh, many companies are left bankrupt or teetering on that. Uh, oil is being given away at minus $37 a barrel on April 20th, 2020. And now you have this mad rush to get back on track. And uh, uh, this, uh, this pent-up demand now has to be met and it can only be met by more, not less oil and more, not less natural gas, more, not less coal, and the list goes on. So uh, Europeans are in trouble, especially Germany and the UK. Um, factories are closing electricity rates have gone through the roof because it can't get natural gas to back them up. There's enough solar activity. We're getting into, you know, uh, close to winter, uh, Northern hemisphere gets less light. And of course, winds have been very great either. So a lot of things to consider, but, uh, bottom line, uh, this is actually the worst time to have experimented, uh, with the idea of the great reset and the build back better and all these other wonderful notions that we could somehow simply flip a switch and, uh, Turn off all fossil fuels.
0: It's scary. There's no denying that. Um, and it's become very, very obvious. Now, is this just a flash in the pan here, or is this squeeze OPEC squeeze uh thing part of this in that um, you know, I mean, OPEC didn't make a bunch of money for a long time, and then they're gonna want to make their money back, and so they are controlling the inventory available in the marketplace. Is that what this is all about, or is there something else going on? I think
4: it's more than that. I mean, OPEC looking at the United States and saying yeah, you guys in the past 10 years became the swing producers. You guys produce 13 million barrels a day, now you're down to 11. Fix your own problem. We have our own clients and we have countries that you know, have little deals. China will do anything it can to buy all the barrels of oil that are spare out there that they can get their hands on at any price. Same for coal, same for any other resource. There is um, I think uh, a lot to be said about uh, you know, OPEC can play its game, but frankly, OPEC uh, lost its uh, its way uh, in 2008 to 2012 when the US began its fracking revolution and uh, untapped, you know, millions of barrels of oil that uh, everyone thought couldn't be released and uh, was on, on its way to continuing this so-called energy security. Uh, in other words, the US didn't really need OPEC and OPEC found new clients. So, they're not likely to, you know, open up as much as they could or should. Um, And of course, the irony for them is, uh, you know, North America, you have more than uh, your abundance of oil between the United States and Canada. uh, The two countries alone have far more oil than Saudi Arabia uh, and the next two and Russia combined. So it's really a question of priorities. And I think uh, this is where I think the issue of... uh, uh, of carbon emissions. Um, uh, the upcoming, uh, you know, uh, Shen Dig in, in Glasgow uh, is going to come to uh, the fore. And I think that's going to be a reflection of the fact that, um, you know, China and other countries are simply not interested in capping emissions, not when they can't get enough fuel to drive their economies. And so um, I, I think for OPEC, it's uh, sit and wait. They don't want to get burnt. They don't want to have the Americans crank out their oil as they did before and, and, and hammer their, uh, you know, hammer the value of their product. Um, so you had a pretty interesting harmony, a balance, right up until 2019, until 2020, at the beginning of COVID. And that's uh, left many people, including OPEC, saying, uh, we don't want to get burnt again. You guys can go burn yourselves and you can go decide to you know, shut in your oil production and natural gas production. But we're not part of that, and we're not going to abide by the same rules. The fact is, OPEC, in many respects, doesn't have the oil to supply the world, even with Russia involved. They have their own domestic issues. Look at uh, Qatar, I mean, the largest uh, exporter, producer-exporter of LNG, liquid natural gas, saying, we're upset with these natural gas prices. They've gone up 13-fold, but there's not a thing we can do about it, and so... Um, You know, uh, it's one thing to say, hey, turn on the taps. But uh, what if there's nothing at the other end?
0: So one of the conversations from a few days ago out of the United States was maybe we'll just stop exporting. We're going to take care of ourselves now. Can Canada do that? And what does it look like if Canada were to do that? And Canada were to just say, you know what, we're going to keep it all for ourselves. We're going to be self-sufficient when it comes to energy.
4: Well, we consume, what, 2 million barrels a day? Uh, that's where refineries use. Um, we would probably have, uh, I'm going to guess uh, uh, we can produce four or five million barrels a day, but this would just lead to a million barrels not going anywhere. A uh, million barrels at $80, uh, you know, can you walk away from, you know, uh, can you walk away from uh, five or six billion dollars a day, uh, sorry, $800, 900000000 million in economic activity per day? I don't think so. So that's kind of where we're at and it's kind of leading, I think, many to the conclusion that uh, you know such a thing would, would only have one impact because we really don't have one customer, uh, and that's, of course, the United States. Uh, the Americans need our oil. Uh, they would be short. How much do we sell to the oil? Uh, how much oil do we sell today? four Four million barrels, three and a half million barrels a day to the United States. They, import, they export some of it back to us, especially Eastern Coast refineries. I so hear them thinking, of course, of Irving in Newfoundland. Uh, sorry, in, in New Brunswick, and uh, Valero in, uh, in, in St. Romuald, uh, just outside of Quebec City. Um, but the balance is still about a million and a half barrels net a day is what we sell to the United States, especially to the U.S. Midwest. Um, and that would uh, leave Canada broke, It would leave the United States significantly short. Uh, we just opened up a pipeline or uh, rebuilt a new pipeline Went from 400 to almost 800,000 barrels a day—a doubling of that pipeline. Um, it's in everyone's interest. When Americans talk about energy security, and the world, you know, hoped that we would achieve that someday, they were re- really referring to this symbiotic relationship between Canada and the United States. And I think that still holds. Uh, but for it to really hold, um, we're going to have to uh, remind people that. Uh, walking away from fossil fuels, uh, hydrocarbons, isn't a very bright thing to do. And frankly, we just can't build enough nuclear reactors. We can't build enough hydro projects. We can't afford, you know, uh, 100 or 200 sightsee dams. Of course, I'm exaggerating. Uh, and that, I think, is leading uh, everyone now to perhaps a um, a question of balance in their minds. We have been nothing but, uh, you know, anti-fossil fuel, you know, climate uh, uh, climate uh, concern in overdrive to the extent that we've now really painted ourselves into a corner. And America has done the same as well. So the Green New Deal and all these other wonderful ideas, I think uh, uh, for many years are utopia, utopic, but more importantly, they're actually dangerous in the way that they're being implemented. Europe being, of course, uh, you know, a poster child as to what not to do when it comes to tripling down on, uh, on renewables, which can't meet the needs current or, or, down the road of, uh, of their economies.
0: Well, you just talked about Eastern Canada and I want to get to line five, but first I want to read you an email that came in, um, from a gentleman named Robert Ashworth. He sent this email in a couple of days ago, and we were talking about the price of gas and so on. And I was curious to get your thoughts, Dan McTagg on what this, uh, where this lands for you. And it's very well, I'm not judging the guy, but he has an opinion and I wanted to get your response. He says, yes, energy is going up, but it's been more expensive before, just like before 2008 crash, supply and demand. We face the problem of global warming. We could try to produce more fossil fuels, but maybe not a good idea. Green energy is better, but it may cost more at first. The alternative may be worse in terms of climate change. Robert Ashworth listening to CKNW in Bellingham, Washington. So that's perspective of Robert. Where does that land for you as the uh, affordable energy guy?
4: Well, I mean, I, I, I think he has a, a valid point about uh, energy and what we need to do to make the transition, except that it's not there, and it won't be there. Uh, lithium prices are up uh, almost as much as oil and natural gas prices. Uh, you know that uh, transition of this nature is something that has to be done over the next 50 years, not five years. Um, I think, of course, it's – and I find this interesting because his uh, state governor is always very big uh, – to talk about you know the need for transition but they got four bloody refineries in their backyard he's in Bellingham he knows which ones I'm referring to um, you know the American position in, in states like Washington is uh, it's to some extent uh, potentially leading to you know uh, hip, being hypocritical uh, Canada's twisting itself into a pretzel uh, you know not one but two carbon taxes which Washington state doesn't have and let me let me be really emphatic uh, we've done this trendy stuff here in British there in British Columbia. You have a 10-cent carbon tax and you have a 16-cent second carbon tax called the Clean Fuel Standard. It's because it's $470 a ton, which works out to 16 cents a litre, according to the regulatory impact analysis statement of the federal government uh, on December 20th, uh, December 19th, uh, when it brought forth its uh, version of the BC Carbon Clean Fuel Standard. My point is that, Uh, we have already gone down this road and it's not reducing emissions. So I'm not sure what is really meant by this, but if one is suggesting that we have to use only, uh, you know, uh, windmills or solar panels or solar energy uh, in order to get by, you're talking about a massive retrograde step backwards, not just in terms of the quality of life he and I enjoy, but uh, the, uh, the ability for the world economy and for individuals to survive uh, in an environment where we've prospered. And yeah, while we can talk about emissions, I think we, we, have a, we, have a, we have a unique opportunity here to recognize we're getting carried away, uh, especially in Canada. Now, the United States can do some catch-up if they like. They can shut down coal plants like we did 20 years ago. Um, and they can actually do things which we can't do. They get credit for shutting down coal plants. We were too smart. We did it many, many years ago. Also, of course, when it comes to coal, we could uh, we could ask Americans to stop shipping us coal into Vancouver, uh, and then you know uh, have us ship it then to China. There's a lot of things that you know we do in this country that I think uh, tends to get ignored. But the one thing that uh, we can't ignore is the fact that uh, uh, Canadians are leaders, not just in terms of new technologies dealing with. Uh, Uh, Dealing with lower emission type of energy forms. And I think you're, we talked about this before you and I, SAG D technologies that uh, use a very different way in which to extract heavy oil. Uh, You know, we we have less methane in terms of our own production. That's not to compare one country against another. I mean, Americans have advantages, but our technology has been proven and uh, our footprint, I think, is pretty substantially uh, less comparatively speaking and you know, someone says well per gdp well we're a small population located along the u.s border but let's be honest about the about what we are as a country uh you know we we have the third largest reserves in the world and we also happen to be the oldest country on the face of this planet yes more than siberia and russia uh, and certainly more than the united states even with alaska thrown in there uh, we don't have the equivalent of hawaii to <laughs> balance things off i think the points he makes are interesting but i think that's the kind of argument I heard last year. And that's the kind of argument, uh, in all due respect, that's put us in the pickle that we find ourselves in uh, uh, internationally. I think we've gone far too fast on this, and we did not look before we left. And we thought the technology was there. It's not there. And I guess I, I come down to this. If you want your lithium batteries, if you want the new EVs, and you want these solar panels, you got to start thinking from the time in which you extract them to the time in which you dispose of them. All those things are extraordinarily hard to do. Uh, you can't take, uh, you know, windmills, chop them up and, uh, you know, send them to recycler. They have to be buried. Uh, the cadmium and other products coming from solar panels are not exactly the kind of things that can be, you know, readily, uh, you know, uh, terminated and, uh, and, and, and brought back into uh, a recycling format. Um, so, you know, there's a significant downside, not just in terms of what these, what these renewables do, it's what they don't do. They're not reliable, they're not affordable, and without government subsidies, um, they're not even useful. So I know what we're trying to do and what we're trying to say, but I think we just have to go out about it a different way. Um, maybe a compromise would be, let's start, you know, building out our natural gas, uh, our natural gas capabilities in both Canada and the United States. I think that's the, you know, the middle ground for both of us.
0: All right, so Enbridge Line 5, um, The basically what happened was is the state of Michigan revoked its easement to allow it to go through. There's lots of conversation that says state can't do that anyway. It's a federal issue, da-da-da-da-da. Um, the environmentalists have now jumped all over the um, 70s treaty that they're trying to use to say that, yes, we can do this um, with all kinds of petitions and everything else. There's a bunch of people working to shut that thing down. Is there anybody working to keep it open?
4: Only the federal government in Ottawa apparently that didn't really pay much attention to this until a few months ago. Now I had been given notice of this in my old days when I was working at Gas Buddy, and when you know part of the things we used to do over there was management, uh, and and uh, we'd use the uh, outage tracker in those states where there could be some kind of impending disaster, usually a hurricane, etc., where the uh, or like you saw with the Colonial Pipeline shut down for whatever reason, but when. Uh, Emergency management officials in those states used to pull me aside three, four years ago saying, do you guys really know uh, how serious a threat the shutting down of line five is? Because the state of Michigan, since Enbridge's uh, disaster at the Kalamazoo River in 2010, has been absolutely determined to shut down anything and everything to do with Enbridge, not because of the track record being 100 percent, you know, bulletproof under the Straits of Mackinac. But because there is a risk and that the company has proven itself in the past not to be exactly diligent when it came to protecting, uh, you know, waterways. So they have a bit of a claim. One of their most ardent advocates in favor of shutting down Line 5 is Dana Nessel. Dana is, of course, uh, the Attorney General and has been Attorney General since 2012 in that state. And it's been her lifelong mission to do everything she can to get that thing shut down, no matter what political pressure, no matter who's in power. Uh, Whitmer comes along, becomes uh, governor a couple of years ago, and she joins in the chorus and fights this. And most U.S. presidential Democratic aspirants said the same thing, from Pete Bidegeg all the way to Biden himself, that he would revoke it. So now we're at treaty time, and that's where the federal government said, well, we're going to pull this away from Michigan. It becomes a matter of treaty on the transmission of energy. It's an important one. But my concern here is that I, and, and, and being so much familiar with my background in foreign affairs, I know that treaties are only as good as those who practice them. If there's an interest the United States finds in keeping it, then I'm sure that they'll say, well, you know, let's, uh, let's we'll, we'll, we'll work this out. I'm not convinced that the political climate of the United States gives Biden a whole lot of room when the people he owes his leadership to and his, his significant victory to, are in fact uh, the, you know, the green new dealers. Um, I don't think he has much of a choice. And he's likely to say, you know, in the same way he killed the Keystone XL. (laughs) Stroke of a pen, gone, history. What concerns me is the federal liberals in Ottawa uh, have been dithering. Uh, They've done nothing to notice anything until it became pretty obvious that Michigan was going to move on this. Um, They haven't got a contingency plan. And to my way of thinking, the best thing the federal government could do and let me offer them one because they know it 's out there and they used to take my advice when we 're in power uh, get the trans canada uh, trans TC energy uh, trans Canada pipeline's main line, which runs natural gas from Alberta all the way into Ontario, convert that into oil pipeline and use that as your offset so you don 't need line five anymore. No one's thinking about that. No one's talking about that because everybody thinks, "Oh, the you know the treaty, the treaty, the treaty." Well, Americans have abrogated many, many bloody treaties. Uh, I can list them off, but I'm not going to get people bored with things that they don't think is consequential. All I know is that if this whole thing is just hanging on President Biden's whim, um, we're in a pretty dangerous, uh, we're in a very precarious position here in Eastern Canada, and uh, we better smarten the hell up.
0: It's very clear. Dan McTagg, former liberal MP and Canadians for affordable energy. Um, we're going to keep the conversation alive because we're starting to see the squeeze one long weekend and barely a tiptoe into fall. And we've already started to see, um, an awful lot of things change quickly and boy, oh boy. I don't know about you, Dan, but that sure got everybody's attention.
4: Oh, it did. I'm getting media that never have haven't spoken to me in many years. Um, cold brother's coming and, uh, the uh, <laughs> I guess the uh, when the shovels come out, uh, so is the reality of uh, how the hell are we going to pay for our electrical bills and our our, uh, our energy bills. So uh, Canada's blessed with this stuff. Let's hope that we have that big big discussion because uh, for a lot of people, it's going to be a tough winter, and um, it may they may have to dust off some of the old work that uh, that I put together many years ago of giving back giving back a, a, an energy rebate, a form of heating allowance uh, using their GST. Who knows what they're going to do? I know that uh, companies, oil companies, are happy with the money. It's a windfall. Uh, governments are happy because it's a windfall for them, too, in terms of revenues, royalties, et cetera. But uh, if it has the effect of making the world a poorer place, um, I don't think that's in anyone's interest to give the money back. Thanks, Dan. So generous with your time, man. Appreciate it. Great to be here. Thanks very much for this, Shane.
2: This is The Shift Podcast.
0: It is time for us to dig into, are you okay? 877-399-9898. You can let us know if you are okay with these. Are you okay with airports?
2: Yes. 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 I love going to an airport. It's like the calm before the storm. I can usually put, I've never actually had a problem at an airport, except for the time that Laura and I... We're going through security, and security thought that Laura's laptop was a bomb. It was mm. not. It had apparently it had explosive powder on it, but mm. uh, it did not. Uh, other than that, I think they're fun. I think it's cool. I like to see all the planes and all the cool designs on them. And yeah, I like bomb, them a
0: Bomb, 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 bomb,
2: bomb, bomb, bomb,
1: bomb.
0: It was Ben Stiller who did that, wasn't it? it was like the Meet the Fockers or something? Oh, There's totally. Like, bomb, bomb, yeah. bomb. Bomb, bomb, bomb. Something like Falkers. that. Um I love airports. There's an amazing reason to love airports, and that is you can drink twenty four seven in them. That uh, is a <laughs> liquor laws are different. You want to have beer and breakfast at six AM? Oh, you can do that in an airport. Can. Because liquor rules are different.
2: There's something special about uh the YYC airport chilies that tiny mm-hmm. chilies tucked in in the terminal where you can get a beer and you know uh potato skins and hash browns before your 5 a.m. flights to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: there's there's yeah. two of them. One in terminal A, one in terminal C just so I you know. Really, and there's yeah, actually one in stuff. terminal D now in the new terminal. I spend that much time at the airport I can tell you where all the <laughs> restaurants are. Oh, that's <laughs> terrible. The only time I ever had trouble was once I was in San Francisco and it was foggy. And it was so foggy, all of the flights were delayed, and everywhere you went, there was people sitting. And back then, I mean, this is quite a few years ago, Wi-Fi was not the best, and you literally, everyone was trying to get on the Wi-Fi, it was like dial-up slow. So that was the only time I've ever had trouble at an airport. There's lots of fun things to be there, right? They're busy, disorganized, sometimes kind of gross, exciting, sometimes they're dark and scary, like the time I was in Baltimore. But either way, they're great for people watching. There's one thing that usually sucks about airports is getting to the airport. True. That must have been the motivation for a man in Minnesota who decided to build an airport in his backyard. The airstrip in question is 2,200 feet long. It was built by Walker himself a few hundred yards from his house. While he didn't want to talk on camera, Mr. Walker, a licensed pilot, said flying is his hobby, and he built his airstrip in 2003 for personal use. Here's more from CBS4.
1: Investigators say Walker incorporated his airfield with the Minnesota Secretary of State under the names Walker Field, LLC, and Top Gun Aviation, and it appears on MapQuest and other navigation websites. The runway is clearly visible from the air, and prosecutors say it's listed by the Federal Aviation Administration as a private airport. Walker believes the FAA recognition gives him the right to have the airfield on his property, but the city disagrees. The city says Walker is in violation of two Afton ordinances, One prohibits private airfields within city limits and the other prohibits airplanes from taking off and landing within the city. The city administrator says they've received several complaints from neighbors over the past year, citing noise and safety concerns. In charges filed in Washington County, prosecutors say witnesses saw planes taking off and landing in April and again in early October.
3: It's a little loud, but after, you know, it's a couple minutes and it's up in the air and that's it. That's it. That's it.
0: Now, private airports are not, you know, they're not new. Nope. Right. And it's actually a business in the States. Like here, I don't know if you can own a private, like you can have a private runway yeah. and you can have that. There are stipulations on being recognized as a runway. If you're going to be in all of the books and navigation things as an emergency landing place that you have to maintain about having a runway to be recognized like that, but you can take off and land from your own property, no problem. But down in America, there are private airports where somebody owns that airport, runs it as a business, and it's all private flights in and out, and that's it. Like You publicly can't walk on that land, so it's it's interesting. So apparently, in this case, uh, it's not the first time that this guy's had a problem. The city administrator said they've received complaints about Walker's airstrip from 10 years ago as well, but I just don't know, Ryan. I don't know if I understand what the big deal is.
2: Okay, I, I see two potential big deals. Number one, if you look at a picture of this runway, it's literally just dirt. It is like a mm. dirt-paved runway. It is not like... I would never want to land fancy. a plane on it. It's not play- mm. You could land a little Cessna on it or something like that, right? The other thing is like... I mean, it's not like he's in city, but imagine, okay, you're in a suburb of Airdrie, right? Mm. It's now 3.30 in the morning Alberta time. You crawl into bed. The lights are off. You put your eye pillow on and then in the background, you just hear as a plane lands in your backyard that Mm. I can see why people might get upset by that.
1: Right.
0: Well, first, I'd like to acknowledge your um, your plane sounds. That was very good. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But I like I I guess so. I mean, there's uh, south of Calgary. There's the Okotoks Airport, which is literally there was a neighborhood built around it. So people could do exactly that. That's but don't true. you know that like, don't, when you move in, don't you check? It's like when you used to see those uh, TV commercials and stuff about it, use a real estate agent because they'll get to all the information. And then you, you see this apartment and it's beautiful. And then you move in and all of a sudden the train goes by and shakes all the glasses off the table. Cause they, <laughs> they took you to the apartment at the right time of day, right? Yeah. Interesting. Huh. I think it would be cool. Uh, John Travolta has his own runway with his. He lands his own jets and parks them next to his house. You can Google about. Maybe he doesn't live there anymore, but you can Google it and you can see the photos of he taxis his airplane to his back door. God, that'd be cool. Isn't that cool? I'm jealous
2: of this guy. I think guy. That's, that's cool. Sweet. This is sweet. I would do this. I think this cool. Good.
0: I think it's cool. Oh, okay. Well, we just had Thanksgiving. America's about to have Thanksgiving, and um, we want to know: Are you okay? turkeys
2: yeah they're mean mean, they are mean uh they're they're neat uh and uh, i will say that on this particular thanksgiving i had turkey at laura's house my partner and it was very good it was a nice reminder i haven't had turkey in a while it was a nice reminder that if you do the turkey right if you put in all the extra work It is fantastic. But that's my problem with turkey. You have to put in so much work to make it taste so good. Whereas, like, you could just buy a chicken breast, throw it in a pan with some olive oil and seasoning, and it just kind of still tastes like turkey.
0: (sighs) All right. I love turkey. I don't think it's that much. I don't think it's that much work. I think it's fantastic. It's quite an art. Uh, the festive bird is a must have for many families for the holiday season and getting ready for Thanksgiving in America and then Christmas around the world. It is turkey planning time. Now, as we mentioned earlier on the shift, the prices for big birds are up. With other food and supplies are dropping. This problem is very evident in the UK. We're hearing an awful lot about shortages of everything in the UK, combination of COVID, inflation, and Brexit kicking in. So in the UK where there are not enough workers to pluck, gotta say that one cautiously and slowly, pluck the turkeys in time for Christmas. Amid the global supply chain disruptions, labor shortages and all these things could put Christmas turkey deliveries at risk in the UK. Supermarkets where a shortage of truck drivers has created delays in some foods arriving, leading to empty shelves, have also reduced orders. According to Japan Today, I know, strange connection to UK. If farmers had 10 turkeys or 20,000, the basic shortage of skilled labor would still be a problem no matter what. CNN's Anna Stewart reports on this issue from a turkey farm in Essex in southern England. So she's standing in a field, literally surrounded by a flock of turkeys that I would guess is hundreds, right? Yeah, hundreds, hundreds of giant turkeys, and they're constantly pecking at her legs and her pockets while she's doing this report on CNN. It was a live report, actually. But just listen as she shows off an incredible trick and her apparent mastery of hanging out with these hundreds of turkeys.
4: Anna, what's in your pockets? Because those turkeys really want to get whatever's in your pocket. Is there some food in there or something? These
0: turkeys? These turkeys are great fun. They are very vocal if you clap. I mean, in some ways they're a great audience. But but they
4: are quite pecky. Get your own round of applause. That was fabulous. Might I
1: suggest, and I've just been Googling. Oh, there you go. Might might I suggest you add tryptophobia to your CV in future, which I believe is a
3: fear of turkeys.
4: I
1: I think I'm developing this fear of
3: turkeys right now. Thanks, Julia. Another round of applause, please, for Anna. (laughs) Fabulous. (laughs)
2: I'm <laughs> a at a turkey farm in Essex. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> that sound. is incredible. Clap, clap. Oh, amazing. I do. W- there is a correction there. She said tryptophobia is a fear of turkeys. That's not a fear of turkeys. Tryptophobia oh. is afraid of holes. Uh, I have that. <laughs> That's like when they're all bunched together and it look gross. Like, I hate that. But would you like to hear the actual official Phobia for turkeys, the word, yes, please. Miliagris phobia
0: that's the fear of it a turkey. It's
2: called that way because miligris means turkey and phobia means fear of.
0: <laughs> it's funny gobble how gobble. that language works. Yeah. Gobble, gobble, clap, clap, clap. Um, they're still mean. I can't believe that they're <laughs> so nice to her. Uh, turkeys are mean, man. They're just yeah, they big and good. scary and they'll they'll run you down. Don't ever ugly, hang out with a turkey. Actually. Just saying. Are you okay? Are you okay with beauty pageants?
2: Oh, I'm not. No. not really anymore. No, they're terrible. The idea that the, there's just this standard... Everybody thinks this is beautiful is so stupid because your idea of beautiful is completely different of my idea. For example, my beauty pageant, there would be no... The only requirement is how good is your star wars costume stormtrooper right. Darth Vader. And, sneakers. and sneakers that's your game i don't care who you are like that's the beauty cut pageant so this it's a very old-fashioned and watching them see clips of modern ones is just so cringy and awkward well it's different than a fitness competition
0: where someone's posing yep. right in a bikini and uh, or 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 in the uh the short shorts for the fellas. And they're 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 posing the muscles and all of that yeah, work. I just don't understand the I'm going to save world hunger and here's me looking pretty in a in a in a bikini like I, I don't it doesn't make sense. I think it's old. It's an old idea. It's very old. Um, the questions they ask though are are, are kind of terrible. And here you go.
2: Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans
0: are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps, and uh, I believe that our education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should... uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries. So we will be able to build up our future for our children.
2: Thank you very much, South Carolina. <laughs>
0: such a. <as>. I <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing that clip. though so good. Oh, <laughs> man, such what,
2: as. what do you expect an answer? Like, what? Why would you? Oh, man such as fantastic such as (laughs) yeah start using that (sighs) just listen to
0: buzzfeed ask men to answer beauty pageant questions that were asked at real pageants such as this
2: if you were pregnant could you still
0: compete
3: in this beauty pageant these are terrible how about you answer me this you you turn the turn the table back turn the table back that's a real saying i just made it up right now and ask yourself Does this make sense? Are you trying to make me a robot just so I can be beautiful for you for the rest of your life? And then turn the table back around to me and I'm going to say no.
2: (laughs) I'm going to say no. Such (laughs) as.
3: Such as.
0: Um. It's a pretty outdated thing, but pageants are still a thing, especially in France. Last year, over 8 million people watched Miss France pageant, but now it's wow. being sued by a feminist activist group and three unsuccessful applicants over alleged discriminatory entry requirements. Add to their credit, the requirements are pretty dumb too. Here are the requirements according to an application form for the Miss France competition thing. You need to be over five foot five. <laughs> Apparently, if you're five foot four and a half, you are not beautiful. What? You have to be unmarried gross never have had children gross wearing you can't be wearing weaves or hair extensions
2: well that i guess that one kind of makes sense because then it's hair, ex- hair extensions make sense oh uh, yeah. a weave th- the, there's some art in there though man yeah i think that good, leaves good out point. some beauty there nope.
0: you cannot have tattoos
2: <sighs> stupid
0: you cannot be smoking
2: it's france it's what that makes you know that's like disqualifies 90% of the population. Get that, my cigarette. Like, what are they talking about? It's ridiculous.
0: An appeal has been filed against the pageant's parent company, Endemol Productions. Oh, I've seen that name before. Um, uh, by Dare to be a Feminist, who says Miss France contestants perform a week's a work service and therefore should be protected from prejudice under French employment law. And that's a really good point, it's a
2: very good point.
0: The three applicants involved in the lawsuit against Miss France were rejected from the competition for their age, height, drinking and smoking in public, and having tattoos. Oh. Not necessarily all at the same time.
2: No, maybe. <laughs> that's... that's um.
0: And getting a tattoo with a cigarette and a drink in your hand?
2: <laughs> that's badass. No, right? That's French. That's cool. <laughs>
0: It's an old idea. I think we can let that one go.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay with diving?
0: Breathing underwater is awesome.
2: Uh, I've never gone full on diving. I've only done scuba in a pool, but I would love, love, love to get on a diving suit, get on like oxygen and go dive somewhere. Always wanted to do that. I don't care where, Mm. just somewhere. Is it even called a diving suit? uh i think it's a wet no, suit. definitely not it's a wetsuit 100 percent a wetsuit uh, or a dry but, suit for that matter Yep. Yeah. the
0: uh ocean has some pretty amazing things to be discovered i'm not big on the snorkeling diving thing because um i met a lot of fish that frankly needed braces and it was very scary they were like oh, snaggle yeah. fish snaggletooth yeah. fish gross what if you were to find something underwater though that was really cool deep down in the ocean something that would make you feel like a grand warrior
3: by the power of gray skull
0: <laughs> okay not he-man or the power of Grayskull. But it is the power of history a sword believed to have belonged to a crusader knight who sailed to the Holy Land almost a millennium ago was recovered by a sharp-eyed amateur diver from the Mediterranean seabed the Israel Antiquities Authority said on Monday Though the encrust although it was encrusted with marine organisms the meter-long blade hilt and handle were distinctive enough to notice under the uh, after undercurrents had apparently shifted sands that had concealed it for a long time the blade was discovered by scuba diver Shlomi Katzen uh, on the seabed along the Carmel coast in Natural Cove near the port city of Haifa," said the IAA. "This is pretty exciting. He was too.
4: About the sword, maybe there is a name on, uh, written on it. Maybe there is a decoration, and that will also give us more uh, information about the knight who held this beautiful uh, uh, sword. Actually, it's it's. It's heavy, okay? It's heavy because of the stones that uh, glue to it. So I'm trying to imagine him on the field uh, with all the arm, uh, armor on, uh, on him and the sword and fighting with it. It should be a, a really in a good fitness. Maybe they were bigger than us uh, today, but definitely stronger.
0: Very cool. The sword believed to be about 900 years old will be put on display after it's cleaned and restored. And he has a good point. I'm pretty sure they were a lot more fit than we are to swing that stuff around.
2: Thanks for listening to the shift podcast.
0: Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify, and curiouscast.ca.